Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fried Green Tomatoes. I appreciate you checking out our podcast. This is going to be our very first episode called Growing 101. Uh, it's going to be a basic intro into everything you're going to need to know to become an indoor cannabis cultivist yourself. Um, we're going to dis- discuss all the materials you need to complete your first run, and then we're going to talk about some basic upkeep for the plants and what they're going to look like when they're not feeling so great and how you address those issues. My name's David. I have my friend Lauren here with me. Hello. And we're just going to jump right into it and get started. So for me, I've been growing, going on two years now. Um, I've used marijuana for quite a few years. And um, for those of you who don't know, they just legalized marijuana in Virginia. And um, instead of going to dispensaries and paying money, I decided that I wanted to grow it myself. So I researched pretty much everything I needed to know to get started. And um, I've done a few runs now and I'm starting to get more comfortable with growing in general. And I wanted to share this knowledge um, with everyone else who's doing the same thing um, with all the change in laws. Awesome. Uh, Well, I guess I also um, have been a cannabis consumer for quite some time, but now that it is legal, I'm definitely interested in what it takes to, you know, start my own growing. All right. Well, I guess to start out, we need to know what we need in order to get started. So as far as materials, what would we need to use? So first and foremost, you're going to need a space to grow in. Um, You know, this can be, you can purchase tents offline to grow in. You can use closets, bathrooms, uh, tubs, pretty much any area that doesn't have um, a lot of foot traffic in it, you can use for for growing. Uh, Just keep in mind that whatever size room or tent or space that you decide to use, you're going to need lighting that fits that space. So the larger the space, um, the more it's going to cost to light that. And um, while we're on the topic, we can just segue right into lights. So um, there's two major different kinds of lights. I personally use LED lights. They, uh, you know, they produce less heat uh, and they're more cost efficient. Um, but there are some drawbacks to using those lights, mostly in nutrition. Um, another thing that you're going to need is you're going to need something to track your temperature and your humidity. It's very, very important to have those um, in, in a solid range and keep them consistent so the plant, um, the plant's environment doesn't vary too much because then you're going to start affecting your yields by doing that. Next after that is probably going to be um, the fans. So air circulation is very, very important for cannabis, especially when you're talking about getting higher yields and temperature control, um, keeping a consistent temperature. You also want a fan that's directly pointed at your lights because um, while your LED lights aren't going to burst into flames or anything like that, keeping them cool will increase the lifespan of the lights. So keep that in mind when you're trying to gauge out how many fans you're going to need for your space. And, and general rule is however many you have, you probably need more than what you have. Okay. So what kind of pots are you currently using or ones that you found that you like the best? So it depends on the phase of the life cycle that the plant is in. When when they're just seeds, like you can just throw them in, in Dixie cups or, or red solo cups or something like that. 
And you also have to plan out how many times you're planning on transplanting these plants, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, for a fully grown plant, usually I use a 10 gallon uh, just planting pot from a local hardware store. Um, there's many different kinds of pots though. Some of them are fabric, some of them are plastic. There are pros and cons to each, but just know for the time being that um, usually a cannabis plant is going to grow as big as the container that you put it in. So the bigger the container, the bigger the plant's going to be um, once it's done with its um, flowering cycle. Okay. So what about soil? What kind of soil do you use? So there's a couple schools of thought on this one. Um, there's three major different kinds of soil. Uh, there's normal planting soil that you would see at any hardware store. There is cocoa, which is made um, from coconuts, uh, the coconut fibers. And then there is synthetic soils that are usually made out of recycled paper. You know, which you choose, they all have different characteristics, meaning they, they retain water differently. They hold on to nutrients differently. So whichever kind you use, you're going to have slightly varying effects. If you're going for maximum yield and maximum output, you're going to want to go for um, like a like a fox farm peat soil base. Um, to get the highest yields. Now, if you're talking about you want to have less impact on the environment, then maybe you're going to want to use some of those recycled uh, peat substitutes. Um, there's one called Pit Moss. Um, that's that's a pretty solid company that a lot of people use. Okay, and then um, watering. I know that there's some special stuff that you have to do with the watering. So what about that? Right. So. The main things that you need to understand about water supply, um, well, there's two things. First of all, are you using tap water or are you not? So it's obviously more expensive to not use tap water to go out to the store and purchase um, deionized water or I can't think of the other kind. Distilled. Distilled water. Yeah, if you use either one of those, um, you're, you're good to go from a – toxic perspective but the problem with that water is that there are literally no nutrients in it at all whereas tap water is going to have some but it's also going to have the chemicals that are used to clean the water assuming that it's city water and not well water um, the first thing you have to do whenever you're using tap water is you have to pour it into the receptacle whatever it is bucket you know watering can whatever and then you have to let it sit for 24 hours to let the, uh, the chlorine in the water evaporate. That's called dechlorinating water. After that 24-hour period, um, then that water can be used on the plants and it won't harm them per se. The other major factor that you need to look at when, when you're talking about water is the pH of the water. The pH of the water means how um, acidic or how base is the actual water itself. Typically, water out of the you know the the municipalities and, and local water is going to be in a range somewhere between six and eight um, which is where it needs to be to feed a plant but it needs to be more specific to that usually as long as it's between six and seven you're not going to harm the plant by giving it that water but depending on what ph the water is that you're giving the plant determines what nutrients it can take in so once you become a little more experienced 
with your grow, you're going to need to really dial in on your pH and, and get something to track that um, pretty accurately. Okay. And then I guess you were talking about nutrients. So um, that kind of goes in line with fertilizer. What about fertilizers? Right. So the kind and the amount of fertilizer that you're going to use on your plants uh, is determined by the phase or the uh, the phase of the life cycle that the plant is in. For example, if it is a seedling, meaning it, you just popped it from a seed and it's a baby, it doesn't need any nutrients at all. So it can be completely nutrient-free soil uh, with no additives, no fertilizers in it at all. So when it's in that solo cup, uh, it does not need any fertilizer for probably the first three to four weeks of life. It won't need anything at all it, other than water. And um, after that, it, if you are in veg, there's going to be a certain type of fertilizer that you're going to use. And then once you move over into flour, you are going to switch over into a different kind of fertilizer that has a different set of nutrients because depending on what phase of the life cycle the plant is in is uh, determines what nutrients it's going to need to take in. Um, okay. One last thing to discuss on this topic while we're talking about the materials that we need. Um, if you are looking for high quality, high yield runs, if that's your end goal, the most important thing before we talk about the space and the lights and, and all that stuff, the environment that you're setting up is going to be the genetics of the seeds themselves. You need to make sure that you have um, a reliable way to get high quality seeds. Currently in our state, um, it is illegal to purchase seeds or plants from anyone. They can only be gifted. So you have two options there. You can either um, get a seed out of a bag that you had or, or whatever, or you can get a seed from someone um, that you trust and know that it's a high quality seed. But it doesn't matter if you do everything 100% correctly if the genetics are bad. Your yield is still going to be bad. The quality of your plant in the end is still going to be bad. So that's a very, very important thing that you need to uh, source out where you're going to be getting your cannabis from before you start any of this. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Okay, so um, you were um, kind of starting to talk about the life cycle based on the fertilizer. What is, um, you know, what are the different life cycles that it goes through? Okay, so a uh, cannabis plant has four life cycles. The first one is going to be germination. So typically the way this is done is you will get a cannabis seed. When you get a seed, you will uh, wet a paper towel, put the seed in the paper towel, put it in a plastic bag, increasing the humidity and you leave it there for a couple days um, after a couple days you open up that paper towel and you'll see a tiny little white root coming out of 80 percent of the seeds ish very rarely are 100 percent of your seeds going to pop roots and if they do you're lucky and congratulations but just don't expect 100 percent of your seeds to pop roots because it's not going to happen but for the first uh, around 10 days of life that's going to be the germination phase of the plant. One root, one tiny little root is going to come out of the seed and it's going to um, search for soil. After those 10 days, it will have established somewhat of a root system and it becomes a seedling. A seedling generally has um, its first few sets of leaves. So about every um, inch to inch and a half, there should be a new cluster of leaves and those are called nodes. 
So for the first three weeks of life, you'll probably have two to three nodes. Um, so two to three groupings worth of leaves. Um, after that, after the seedling phase, it's then in the vegetation phase. And this can last anywhere from three to 16 weeks. And your whole goal in this phase of life is nothing other than to shape the plant to how you want it to be. Um, you're, you're isolating bud sites and trying to create as many of those as you can that fit under the, the light supply that you have for them. Mm -hmm. And then once it becomes um, half of the size that you want it to be when it's complete, that's when the veg cycle ends. And that's, um, that's when it flips over into flower. And there's, we'll talk about how you flip a plant over uh, in, from veg into flower later. But the last um, eight to 11 weeks is called the flower cycle. And then that's when it's going to actually start producing the buds and it's going to start stacking the buds um, and, you know, providing the end result that you're trying to get. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how you identify when something is done flowering. But anywhere from that eight to 11 week range is when it should complete um, after starting it. So to be clear, um, veg phase is going to take you up to 16 weeks of life. And then from week 17 on, 11 weeks after that, meaning 27 weeks, is when the plant will be fully done. And then you can talk about, you know, cutting it down or curing it or whatever it is that you need to do. Okay. Now, um, what, what do the plants exactly need to stay alive? Okay, so you have um, a few basic things that a plant is going to die without. 100% the first thing is going to be water. Um, so, and it's not, it has to be the correct amount of water because if you don't give a plant enough water, um, it can't regulate its internal temperature and it's not going to survive. If you give it too much water, um, cannabis plants breathe through the roots, through their root system. So if, the, if those roots are always submerged in water, they can't breathe and you'll end up getting bud rot or the plant will just die. Okay. Um, another important thing that you need to keep in mind is um, the amount of yield that you get from a plant is going to be 100% dependent on two things. First and foremost, the genetics. And then second is going to be the environment that you grew that plant in. You are not trying to, uh, when you grow, you're not trying to feed a plant. You are trying to create a stable environment that that plant can feed itself in. And it will feed itself as much as it can and get as big as you allow it to, depending on the environment. So um, understanding correct temperature ranges and maintaining correct temperature ranges is very, very important. So when it is, um, in all life cycles, except for the very, very beginning and the very, very end, um, 68 to 78 degrees is good, meaning um, that as long as you're comfortable, the plant's going to be comfortable. At the very beginning of life, when they are seedlings, they need higher temperatures and higher humidity. So usually what I do is I'll try to keep the room as close to 80 degrees as I can, um, and then I will cover the plant with some so, sort of plastic dome or lid. I'll spray some water in there to create a little extra humidity. 
so they'll be sitting in the mid 80s in a very, very humid environment for those first 10 days ish. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of the coin, at the end of their life, they need to be much colder. So mid to lower 60s. Um, what happens with this is that um, a few things. You're creating a false fall for the plant. So it understands that its life cycle is ending and it will produce um, more buds with um, more trichome production, which is what you want. And it will also, um, you know, it'll, it'll condense all the buds in so they won't be super, super airy and they will be more like what you're used to when we talk about like dispensary quality weed, right? You know, mm-hmm. that, that dense stuff that, you know, you get an eighth and it's probably, you know, a, a few inches by a few inches as opposed to, you know, really airy bud an ounce can take up multiple jars, right? Mm-hmm. And then after those are understood and executed on properly, you need to focus on keeping a consistent pH of soil. Um, you do this by there are various pH testers on the market that you can use, but you want to keep it within the ranges of six and seven throughout a vast majority of its life. Um, any variances in that will present themselves as damaged leaves and the plant slowly dying, essentially, which is what you're going to see. Another talking point while we're talking about soil is um, commonly in the industry, they have what's called hot soil, which means um, the soil is super, super rich with nutrients. And as the microbes in the soil break down those nutrients to change them into elements that the plant can intake, it produces heat. Um, so the, the soil will literally get hot because there's so many nutrients in it. And if you put a little baby seed in, in hot soil, it's going to kill that seedling because it already has all the nutrients it needs. And you're trying to feed it significantly more nutrients through the root system, which then causes nutrient lock. So they can't uptake any nutrients and then they die. Another important detail to think about when you're talking about soil is um, the aeration of the soil. So you'll see a lot of um, planting soil that has like little white dots in it. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes. Like when you do succulents and that kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's these little white, you know, quote unquote, like beads in there. And those are uh, called perlite. So, Perlite is used commonly in peat moss, which is what you're going to get if you buy like Fox Farm soils, planting soils from, you know, hardware stores, things like that. It's Mm -hmm. going to have perlite in it. It's going to be these little white balls. Um, Typically, when you're using uh, cocoa core or if you're using um, organic nutrients, you want to use uh, rice holes instead of perlite uh, for various reasons. But typically... Perlite is more of um, synthetic, right? Like when you dump it into a bag, a big white cloud comes out. You don't want to breathe that stuff in because it's really, really bad for your lungs. Um, Rice hole is more of a a natural way to do it. Right. And remember I said earlier, those roots need to breathe. So it's important that the soil isn't just packed super, super tight on those roots. So they're not going to be able to breathe and your plant's going to have a problem growing. It also has a dual purpose. Um, 
So aeration also means that you have drainage. Drainage, you you want your you want your material to retain liquid, but you don't want it to retain so much liquid that the plant gets rot and dies. So when we're talking about nutrients, there's two major kinds of nutrients. There's bottle nutrients and there's organic nutrients. Most people do not mix the two. Um, it's it's an old wives' tale that you know bottle nutrients are going to kill the microbes that organic nutrients need to feed the plant, and that's not 100% accurate. We'll we'll talk about microbes, I'm sure, one day, um, but that's definitely a topic that's going to require at least one episode in and of itself. And um, just know that you need to decide what route you want to go. Okay. So what's the difference between bottle and organic then? Okay. So bottle nutrients are just going to be liquid chemicals that you are going to dilute in water um, based on the instructions on the packaging and that's going to give you water with a bunch of nutrients in it that you were going to feed your plant directly. So the microbes in the soil are not going to be feeding the plant. You are going to be feeding the plant directly with whatever you uh, put on the root system. Mm-hmm. Organic nutrients, on the other hand, um, they use the the microbiology in the soil to um, feed the plant, meaning that it, the things that you're going to be putting in the soil are going to be like kelp or ground up oyster shells and then those tiny little insects uh, in the soil are going to break that down into something that the plant can eat meaning that uh, you're going to put this in the soil directly and then the plant is going to feed itself over time whereas with bottle nutrients you're going to need to constantly be feeding that plant at every meal so you know every couple days you're going to be making a chemical concoction of water and pouring that into the plant to feed it. Now there's advantages and disadvantages of both. Yes, you're feeding the plant right now. Um, If you overfeed that plant, you are going to do much more damage to the plant much more easily. Um, Organic nutrients, it's, it's much, much more difficult to overfeed organically than it is synthetically. Okay. Um, That makes sense. But the problem with organic is that if there is a problem, like let's say your leaves start dying because the plant doesn't have any potassium, let's just say. If you are an organic farmer, you have no means of getting potassium to that plant in a time efficient manner. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Because I mean, I'm sure it's harder to like isolate a particular nutrient or know exactly what you need? Well, yes and no. I mean, you can, you can do that. You can give it the nutrient, right? But the problem is that you are not feeding the plant directly when you're doing it organically. Like I just, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, you are feeding the microbes, the tiny little insects. So the tiny little insects have to go in there. They have to break down that potassium, which takes time and then change it into a manner in which the plant can uptake it. And then the plant uptakes it. Right. So there may not be enough time to save it, depending on how long it takes for all that to happen. Yeah. And depending on how long it takes you to like to correctly predict the problem that you're having. Mm-hmm. Missing different nutrients has different physical implications on the plant, meaning it's going to look different depending on what nutrients it has too little or too much of. 
So you can identify what the plant needs, but can you get it to that plant in a quick enough time frame to where it's not going to cause permanent damage? That's that's the constant juggling game that you're going to play when you're doing organic versus synthetic. But when you are doing organic, the upside is that you're not feeding the plant on a regular basis. So if I'm mm-hmm. doing synthetic, I'm feeding my plant twice a week, maybe. If I'm doing organic, I'm feeding my plant like twice a, a quarter. So twice every three months. Mm-hmm. So there's a give and take there. Um, there's It's a lot less time investment to do it organically, but it's also a lot more money investment up front to do organic nutrients because, you know, they don't, you can get a small bottle of chemicals. You're not going to get a small little bag of nutrients typically. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of lighting do you use? So me personally, I use LED lights. Um, I, I prefer the reduced heat so that I can control my environment better. And I also prefer, prefer the uh, lower electricity bill as opposed to other forms of lighting. Um, but, you know, the, not only the light that you use, but how you use the light determines whether it's going to be harmful or helpful to your plants. Um, if you have a very, very great light, but you keep it at the wrong distance, it's still going to harm your plant regardless. Mm-hmm. If it's too far away, your plant is going to stretch super, super far, and it's not going to be able to feed itself the water that it needs because it's going to be young but still relatively large and that usually causes um, weak stems weak root systems um, and just overall is going to lower your yield Um, whereas if you have the light too close to the plant you're going to raise the temperature of the plant number one number two um, you're going to damage leaves they're going to end up becoming very very crisp and then they'll turn yellow and then they'll die and fall off So it's very, very, it's a juggling act of where the light needs to be because the plants are always growing. They grow remarkably quickly. So one plant could have the light at the right distance one day, but the next day it could be significantly closer and you could be burning your plant without even knowing it. So that's definitely something to to keep an eye on. Okay. Um, and you were talking earlier about, you know, needing fans. Um, how does that play in with, like, the airflow that they need? Right. So uh, airflow is going to have a few impacts on the environment. One, it's going gonna, it's gonna to even out your temperature, which is very, very important because you're trying to control that environment. Um, having the stable environment is everything when you're talking about yield. Obviously, that's more of, like um, – fine tuning once you have your build you know your your build and and your growing process down um but but another huge part that you get out of airflow is that you uh you're constantly stressing your stems and typically if if a plant does not have to fight and you give it a very very easy life um it is not going to have a strong enough stock and and system built up to hold the buds that you're going to you're going to want it to produce and obviously if you have that environment dialed in on everything other than air you're going to have a lot of large buds but the the stems aren't going to be able to hold them and they're just going to fall over and they're going to break 
Another thing that you get from Airflow is pest management. So a lot of pests that are associated with cannabis fly. Um, but when there is a strong wind, obviously not too strong to where the plant is bending over, but enough to move the, the leaves and branches around, certainly. As long as you can make that happen, it's going to be significantly harder for a flying insect to reproduce on your plant. A lot of those plants live on the branches and the stems, so um, having those constantly move obviously creates a moving target for those insects to reproduce on. That makes sense. So now we have what we need. Um, how do we decide or, I mean, what are the differences basically between the two different kinds that you can get like photo versus auto? Yeah, certainly. So there, there's like two major types of plants when you're talking about this aspect. So there is a photo period plant, which is just a normal cannabis plant. Um, and the other one is an auto. So the phase of life of a cannabis plant is determined by the amount of sunlight that that plant is getting. If it is getting more than 12, 12 hours of light, it believes that it should continue growing and continue vegging. It's not the end of the season yet, and it produces one certain chemical to tell the plant to keep on producing nodes as opposed to producing buds. Once okay. the light goes below 12 hours, it then switches over and says, it is now time to flower because the days are getting shorter. That means winter is coming. I need to produce my flowers and spread my seed, which is what we want. We want the buds, right? Like that's the end goal. Right. Um, with an auto, the plant does not care how much light you give it. It will reach some arbitrary milestone that we don't understand. And it will say, I have grown enough. It's time for me to start flowering. And then it will start producing buds. Regardless, it, it doesn't care if you're giving it 10 hours of light or if you're giving it 24 hours of light. It's going to either bud or not bud, depending on its mood. Um, so pros and cons of the two. Um, photo periods, you can, can control how big the plant's going to be. You can have a little bit more say in what your yield is going to look like and what your time frames are going to look like. Um, but they take a longer period of time from seed to harvest than an auto is going to take. An auto is going to take significantly less time and your yield is going to be less, but it's not going to be significantly less when you're talking about your own personal use. Like if, if you are farming to give to a dispensary or something like that, it's going to have huge impacts when you're, when you're talking about over the course of a hundred plants. Right. Mm -hmm. But if it's just for you, it, it's really, it's just whichever you prefer. Do you want it fast or do you want a lot of it? Got it. And that kind of segues into um, what we were talking about earlier, how you flip a, a plant over. So essentially you just keep the plant on anything longer than 12 hours and it's going to think it's spring or summer. So I'm going to continue to grow. I'm going to continue to grow. I'm going to get larger and larger and larger. As soon as you, it only takes a couple days. So if you give it only 10 hours of light for, I don't know, let's say four days, it's going to release a different chemical and it's all of its nodes are then going to start producing buds. Okay. 
Okay. So in regards to feeding, um, let's get some more details about um, how often to feed and why. Okay. So again, um, if, if you're dealing with organic growing, then most of the nutrients that you need should already be in the soil. Typically, um, a week or two before you flip the plant over into um, flowering, you're going to want to give it a top dressing. So a top dressing is when, in this case, since it's going into flower, majority of the new nutrients it's going to need are going to be potassium, but there's going to be a few other things. And you're going to mix that with some soil. You're going to put that on top of the soil that's already on the plant. And then you're going to run your fingers through the, the top, maybe inch and a half of soil to kind of, um, you know, spread all those nutrients around under the soil a little bit. And then as you water, those nutrients will slowly go down into the plant over, you know, the, the few weeks of flower or whatever. So that's organic, much easier, much simple, much more simple. When you're talking about synthetic nutrients, um, you're going to constantly be watering your plant about typically you want to get it to where you're only watering your plant once a day, once every other day. If you have to go any longer than that before the plant is dry, then you are overwatering your plant. Um, so you're looking at, you know, seven, three to seven feedings a week. Okay. Around 50% of those three to seven feedings you want to make sure that you are giving nutrients and then the rest, you want to make sure you're giving just pH balanced water. Mm -hmm. um, if you feed it nutrients every single time, you're going to cause buildups of nutrients and then it's going to cause nutrient lock and your plant's going to look like it's dying uh, and it may very well die. Um, so on the back of most of the packaging, there's going to be instructions of um, here's how much, we think that you should put in a gallon of medium, medium meaning uh, the soil. So if it's a 10 gallon bucket full of soil, it's going to say you should have X amount of teaspoons of this chemical in that bucket every single time you feed it. Mm -hmm. So then you do the math on what that is. It's all dependent on what size pot that you chose at the very, very beginning. Okay. Um, so there's a little bit of math there. That's why it's not as simple as, hey, um, I'm going to make this fertilizer for you and this is what you're going to feed your plant every three days. There's a lot of variables that go into it. Um, but just keep in mind that you, as much as you're giving it nutrients, you want to make sure you're giving it just straight water as well and balance it out and kind of feel out um, what you need to give it for your size pot. And then um, a lot of documenting, especially at first when you don't know what you're doing, document how much fertilizer you're putting in the water and see how the plant reacts um, because you're going to have to do a little bit of science on this to get it right. But once you have it dialed in, the plant is going to grow exponentially and very, very quickly. Okay. And um, what are some other things that we need to be cognizant of when we're growing, like things to look for um, on the plants to, you know, make sure that, that we're not having problems with the plant itself? Right. Yeah. So there's so, so much that we're going to talk about on this topic. And I mean, obviously, we're not going to touch on all of it today, but just to start, we're going to start with the super, super basic stuff. Um, so 
leaf curling. Um, if, if, if the plant starts to like, you know, curl up kind of like, um, like you're starting to make a fist, but you haven't closed your hand all the way. If the leaves start to look like that, um, then there's something wrong with your watering. Now, the problem with cannabis is that, um, curling leaves look very, very similar if you're overwatering and if you're underwatering. They look almost identical. So if you are overwatering, um, just the actual leaves themselves are going to be curled on the end. If you are underwatering, then the entire leaf itself stalk from the main stalk is just going to droop. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then also, would you be able to tell, like, is the soil going to be damp as well? Or does the the soil like pretty dry either way? So if you, if you can stick your finger in the soil down to where you can't see your fingernail and you do not feel any moisture at all, you need Mm -hmm. to water the plant. Okay. Um, On the other hand, if, if you do that and you feel any moisture at all, don't water it. Okay. And then that's how you gauge, right? So you give it X amount of water, let's say. You go look at it the next day and you stick your finger in there down to where you can't see your fingernail anymore. It's still damp. Mm-hmm. If it's been if it's been 24 hours and it's still damp, give it less water than you gave it the day before. Okay. If it's completely bone dry, give it a little bit more and then just slowly adjust how much you're feeding your plant cuz you have to build a relationship with this thing. It's not, um, it's not a set it and forget it thing. This is a living creature that you need to take care of. And once you start looking at it from that perspective, you, you learn to understand the language that they're saying. Um, and, and that's what curling leaves means, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another common one. And I remember the first time I saw this, uh, I freaked out, right? And this happens to everyone when they're first growing. So you're going to be growing and, you're going to notice a little spot on your leaf. And then the next day you're going to notice that spot get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then the leaf's just going to die and it's going to fall off. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to freak out. And um, so browning leaves, there's so, so many different things that can cause browning leaves. A vast majority of deficiencies or having excess. Um, that's one of the, you know, as it is with water is very much how it is with nutrients too. When you're giving it too much versus too little, the symptoms of both are very, very similar. Okay. Um, so you're going to have to do your research and uh, we'll give some resources. There's a couple websites that have really, really good information on what deficiencies look like um, depending on whether it is an excess or a lack of and how to react to it. But for, by and large, when you're starting out, your first few runs, if you see browning of leaves, odds are you've done something incorrectly with the pH of your soil. Okay. So if you see any browning, leaves are dying or falling off, the very, very first thing you should check is the pH of the water. And not the pH, it's not the pH of the water that you're putting in the plant. It's the pH of the water coming out of the plant. 
So if you keep giving it water and keep giving it water, eventually, as long as you have holes in the bottom of your pot, which you should, or else your plant's not going to be able to breathe and it's going to die. Um, most, you know, almost all pots that you get from the store are going to have holes in the bottom of them. Some of the um, ceramic ones do not. Mm-hmm. But you're going to keep dumping water in it until a little bit runs out the bottom. You're going to take that little bit that ran out the bottom. You're going to put it in a cup and then you're going to pH test that. Okay. Because the pH that you're putting in on the top is getting converted through all these processes happening inside your soil and it's going to alter the pH of the environment. So let's say your target pH is 6.5 and and you keep on giving it 6.5 water, right? Mm-hmm. What you don't realize is that the plant is converting all those nutrients and eating them, and the pH of the actual soil itself is not 6.5. It's significantly lower than that, right? Let's say it's 3. Mm-hmm. That, that's super dramatic. You, you're never going to see 3, but it just for just for the sake of this conversation, we'll say it's significantly low, but you're still only giving it uh, you know, like six to six, five pH water, you're never going to raise that up. In order to raise it up, you're going to want to adjust that six, five and say, I want it to be more at seven. Mm-hmm. So that way it's going to increase the pH of the soil quicker. And once you have the pH under control, you will notice um, the plants start to perk up. One important caveat to this is that once damage is done, to a leaf, that damage is permanent. Um, A a plant will not heal itself ever, or at least a cannabis plant will not. Others may that I don't know about, but I've never seen it. Um, Whatever damage you see is going to be there forever. The only Mm -hmm. way to know if the changes you've made have taken effect and done what you wanted them to do is to look at the brand new vegetation that's growing. Okay. So look at the newest leaves, look at the newest nodes, or look at the bud itself, because the bud's going to have little sugar leaves on it as well. That's going to be how you tell whether the changes you're making are working or not working. It's not on the leaves that you saw the damage on. So once you see damage on a leaf, it's going to continue to degrade and get worse and definitely not get better. If the damage on a leaf exceeds 50% of the total surface area of the leaf, that's usually when I'll rip it off and throw it away. Okay. Um, another common one that you see is red stems. So red stems can have a lot of causes. Red stem on, on a cannabis plant just means this plant is stressed out. That's all it means. Um, it doesn't mean the plant's dying or anything. It just means that there's something in the environment that is not ideal and that plant is stressed. So you need to check all of your information, check your pH, check your light distance, check your soil, um, check when the last time you fed it was, check to make sure it has enough airflow, get all of those things under control. And then if the stems still continue to redden more, mm-hmm. some, some genetics just have red stems late stage. Like it just happens. So, I mean, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt as long as you know your environment's dialed in and, and everything's on the up and up and the plant looks healthy other than the stems, mm-hmm. then it may just be the genetics, you know. Okay. And then the last really um, major one are pests. Usually what I do 
is I have a little piece of uh, two-sided like sticky tape, like, you know, flypaper almost. And I put those in the bottom of my plant, whether I do or don't have a pest issue, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The treatment for pests, you know, the ranges of treatment are so, so varied depending on what kind of a pest you have and your preferred method, not to mention what phase of life you're in. So it's a very loaded question and you need to know all the variables before you start talking about how do I treat this specific pest. But know for now that the the most important thing that you can do to control pests is to prevent pests by controlling your environment and making sure that everything there is solid. If you do happen to get pests, I keep the the tape always at the bottom of my plants, whether I do or don't have pests, so that I can identify if I do get a pest immediately, because those pests are going to be stuck to the paper. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you can see exactly what your, what your foe is, right? Like, what are you going to have to go kill? Um, And, you know, it could, it could be something with wings. It could be something without wings, but you're going to need that information and having one, um, stuck to the paper, you're going to notice that way before you notice one flying around or one hiding under a leaf or something like that. Right. So you put that paper under there, you identify what the insect is, and then either um, email us and we'll give you a perfectly acceptable treatment. Um, You know, whether it's going to be organic or whether you're okay with using chemicals, there's going to be different treatments for each or uh, ask one of your friends who grows or search the internet really. Um, but you know, treatments, you know, some treatments are put ladybugs on your plants, right? Mm -hmm. Um, because ladybugs are predators, they're predator insects and they will eat a lot of these pests that are on your plants. So that's one thing you can do. There are certain oils you can spray on your plants. There are pesticides. There are all different kinds of solutions depending on what you have. And, um, you know, you have to choose the right treatment because you don't want to unnecessarily do things to your plant that you don't have to and cause more risk. Right. Plus you don't want to be consuming pesticides if you can prevent that, I would imagine. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like what do you, at a minimum, what do you think that someone is going to spend to get started on a basic four plant home grow? Okay. Um, so it 100% depends on what your end goal is. Um, you can, if we're talking about bare minimum expenses, um, you can get some LED grow lights for 40 and $50 on Amazon. Um, the pots to put the soil in is going to be about 5 to $10 each. So we're up to, let's see, we're up to, let's say, 100 bucks. Um, soil is going to run you about 30 so we're at 130 depending on how you get your seeds, they're usually about $10 a piece. If you're buying them online, if you are gifted them, obviously they're free, but we'll just say for future purposes, when we can actually purchase them $10 a seed. So we're coming up on $200. Um, And synthetic nutrients are significantly less expensive than organic nutrients. um, At least the initial investment. So if you're trying to do bare minimum just to get the plants in the ground and get everything growing, I would say you're looking at about $250 to $300 if you're buying the least expensive of everything. 
Okay. Um, the high end, if you want to do it right from the beginning, uh, you're, it's a pretty significant investment. Um, uh, you know, probably triple that. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But again, you know, plants move much slower than humans. So you can invest 50 bucks, get a, a nice cheap light, start the plants, have your little seedlings growing, and then as they're growing into full-blown adults, be stocking out, you know, better lights and better equipment, hardware, better detection, all that stuff. You can do it as you go on your first run. Really, the only thing you need to start is light, soil, pot, seeds. Awesome. The rest you can sort out. Okay. Well, I guess on later podcasts, we'll get into more of the specifics of, you know, all the different kinds of fertilizer, you know, um, different ways to prevent pests and, you know, how to tell what's going wrong with the plants and what you can do to help that. Um, So I'm sure at, at some point we'll dial into all those specific things on later podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, I just want to say thank you uh, for checking us out. Um, if you like our content, you want to hear more of this, don't worry. There's plenty more to come. Um, follow us uh, in our in the description of this podcast. We're going to put our email. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions that you have. We're more than happy to help. We're, we're going to be paying really close attention and answering all the questions that we can. Um, and yeah, just look forward to more because we, we got a lot more information to share with you all. This is just the tip of the iceberg. And um, yeah, good luck with your grows and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks.